Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you before we start to wherever you are listening to this. Just a word of warning, we do this podcast three times a week, but we're not always sure which day it's going to be on. So the only way to keep your finger on the pulse and listen to the latest episode is to subscribe, get notifications, why not drop us a review while you're there. Right, enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. I'm Ben James, I'm joined by Matt Southcombe and Simon Thomas. It's been a busy day, guys. Uh, Wales team announcement, not just one, but two. Yeah. Um, let's touch upon that then. Can't get away from it, isn't it? We're looking at Wales game, they've still got Warren Gatland Q&As on our website. <laughs> and you can't get away from the man. Like, um, Yeah, it's his farewell, isn't it? And it's um, a chance for the I guess, anticipated 60,000 plus crowd to sort of say thank you to him for 12 years where he's brought in precedent and success. But it's also an opportunity to have a look at um, the new Wales, the Wayne Pivak Wales. Not that new in terms of the personnel, aside from joining McNichol, but I think it's the style of play that we can expect. That's what people would be fascinated to see, especially in a, a Barbar's game, which tends to be quite open. I mean, you've been down there today, Matt, with, with Pivak, and what are you sensing in terms of what he's looking for from this game? Yeah, I guess it's been a, a, a difficult, um, difficult really, because there's not a lot they can do in a week, um, or less than a week, you know, train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, train Thursday, captains are on Friday, so, you know, he's limited in what he can uh, implement and what he can change, you know, there are there have been little things apparently going on in training, little tweaks to the attack, seems to be very keen on evolving the attack, um, which may be music to the ears of some, some of our listeners, um, you know, defence obviously has not been an issue for Wales largely over the last few years, Um so yeah, he's he's looking to to evolve the attack. Is you know, good halfbacks, exciting halfbacks, and Jared and and Tomos there. You know, familiar halfbacks. We did speculate myself and you Si, on on the game line the other day um, that Sam Davis might get the nod, um, given he seemed to be more in form. Uh, but you know, he's gone for the the combinations that are familiar with each other, which is probably a wise move given um, everything surrounding this game um, and the lack of preparation time. So um, yeah, I'm hoping to see some some interesting things in in attack. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's not not the easiest of occasions, really. I don't think because you know if if they lost to that barbarian side, it's not without pressure, is it? If you lose to that barbarian side, then you know people are gonna are gonna stick the boot in a little bit. So you know he's got to win first and foremost. But um, yeah, it'll be an interesting afternoon, I'm sure. It's interesting you touched on the the fly half there because I suppose if anybody was born to be a barbarian style player, it's Jared Evans because his natural instinct is to run with the ball, pass with the ball, keep the ball alive rather than kick it. Mm. Uh, the kind of freewheeling kind of <laughs> event you tend to get with a barbarian game, it could be right up his street. But we were talking earlier with um, Andy Howell, our colleague, and about what we're expecting in terms of um, a Wayne Pivak team. Now, all you can really base it on is the Wayne Pivak team we saw with the Scarlets for three or four years, and Stephen Jones there as well. Mm. It was uh, very much there based on tempo and um, counter-attacking over turnover ball. And you can imagine and expect the way the Barbars are going to play, which will be sort of taking risks and a bit of showboating here and there. You're going to get spillages, you're going to get loose ball, and then we'll be able to see exactly what a Wayne Pivak does team does on the counter it's always been a big part of it is trying to sort of um, win quick turnover so I'm, I'm guessing just in typical of a role to play there um, other people like Dylan Lewis over the ball as well get the ball away quick and what you've got at nine now is someone to add real tempo real spark real catalyst and Thomas Williams started last year's Six Nations is this an opportunity for him to stake a claim to do the same in 2020 
interesting you touched on Jared Evans there because the last time we saw him in a Wales shirt it was pretty much a, a public mm-hmm. audition wasn't it um, yeah, and we sort, of, we sort of know looking back that maybe in that game he was told or asked to play a way that didn't suit him uh, he was asked to kick a lot he, he probably didn't take on the options he'd normally take on that's probably not going to be the case this weekend, is it? Well, I think on that occasion, what happened was Wales, you know, he was a victim of Wales not playing particularly well. Um, everything he was trying to do was off the back foot on that day. Um, and it's difficult to impose yourself on the opposition when you're, when you're constantly on the back foot. Um, you know, also starting a game at fly half is traditionally more difficult than coming on at half time after you've had a feel for how it's going. So, you know, it was it was pretty brutal. You know, I don't think it was wrong, um, but it was pretty savage, um, you know, a pretty savage way for it to go. Um, and, you know, we've he was actually up for press today, up at the Vale, um, and we interviewed him on this uh, very topic. And I was asking him about that day um, and how he's sort of got himself back on track after it. That'll, that'll be online at 10pm uh, this evening, Thursday night, uh, if you want to give it a read. Um, and yeah, we, we touched on all this sort of stuff and, um, you know, I, I got the impression it wasn't very, you know, it was difficult for him, um, difficult to take, uh, the way it all unfolded. Obviously it didn't go the way that he would have liked. And, um, yeah, like you said, I think this game is going to suit him down to the ground. And I think he's very excited about hearing Wayne Pivak saying things like, we want to evolve the attack. You know, he's working with Stephen Jones and Neil Jenkins to, you know, two of the best fly-offs Wales have ever had. And, um... Yeah, I, I think the future, it, as far as Jared Evans is concerned, is particularly bright and starting, hopefully, um, from his perspective against the Barbas. I had a long chat with Jared about two, three weeks ago when he was going through yeah, a tricky period. He admitted there to me that, you know, having missed out on the World Cup, I'd taken a toll. You know, you build your hopes up, don't you? You're part of the training setup. You, you've got your shot. It doesn't work out for you. And I think he did find that difficult and he struggled for confidence early season. Interestingly, though, he said that once the Wales players came back, he felt like it was the end of that chapter and it was a chance to kick on. Everyone's back. Now you're back to sort of the mode he's used to. And for a couple of weeks, you could see a definite improvement against the Cheetahs and also against Calvisano. Last week, he was part of another stuttering Blues performance against Leicester and didn't quite work for him. Um, I, I think it's it's fair to say that it's it's been a challenge for him at the Blues since Anscombe has moved away because it was very much a dual playmaking system there. So that if there was any situation where you need someone to put the foot on the ball and, and play a tactical role, Anscombe could come and do that. And then Jair would be the man who'd be stepping in with his quicker ball and just doing damage. And it was a lovely combination. It worked well. There's been a change there of emphasis. They've obviously touched upon that with Jason Tubby coming into the Blues as well. And let's try that on occasions. But it'll be interesting now to see whether there will be somebody else in that Welsh back line that will take on more of a first or second receiver role. Whether you'll see Lee Halfpenny perhaps coming onto the ball a little bit more from fullback. Because obviously with... Um, Hadi Parks and Owen Watkins. You've essentially got strong people carriers. You'll look to take, take direct, fairly direct lines. Um, so will someone come in and take a bit of the responsibility off Jared's shoulders? But uh, it's a big opportunity for him. He's a hugely talented young man. It's just whether he can really grasp the situation and grasp the opportunity. It'll be interesting to see. Um, he's one player who's been identified as X Factor in that backline. Another one making his debut is uh, Johnny McNichol. Um, probably park all the sort of the debates about residency and all that to one side. We've had many conversations. We've had many conversations. Um, but let's talk about him as a player first and foremost. He's going to be exciting to watch on Saturday. 
Yeah, hopefully, and and hopefully he can uh, carry over the form that's that's earned him the call up in the first place. And you know, a guy who Wayne Pivak is very familiar with, um, obviously Stephen Jones and Byron Hayward as well, uh, having worked with them at the Scarlets. Um, so, you know, the the guy can finish, and we've seen that time and time again. He's quick. He's he's a bit of a slippery eel, isn't he? You know, he can you know slither his way through gaps and and, and pull away from defensive lines with with that speed that perhaps um, goes a little unnoticed. So, you know, he's definitely a massive attacking weapon. Um, he's an out and out try scorer. Uh, so you know, with him on one wing and Josh Adams on the other. Uh, hopefully, there's there's going to be um, some pretty special finishes, and you know, for it, it, it would be great for him. You know, we talk about the residency thing and everything that surrounded this call up. You know, the best yeah. thing for him now is to go out and perform, and and if he can cap it with a try, then then it sort of all that talk about the residency will will disappear. In the three years he's been here, I'd say he's produced some of the best regional displays I've seen for any individual. The, the losing final in Dublin, where the Scarlets lost. To Leinster, his performance that day—I think he's got three tries on the on the losing side. He was absolutely exceptional. He's um, he's a gliding, classy runner. Hits great lines. Knows his way to the try line as well. Um, one thing that's you know on occasions been tested defensively, you know, and that'd be interesting to see how he deals with that situation because he's stepping up to another level of test level. And I'm intrigued as well. I'm not entirely sure in my own mind what his best position is because. He plays primarily at the moment for the Scarlets at fullback, especially with Lee Halfpenny being available. Last week out in Toulon, he played at fullback. Um, ironically, Steph Evans, who's um, a wing in the squad, has gone back to the Scarlets and will now be playing at fullback. <laughs> whereas Johnny Minnickel moves from fullback of the Scarlets to wing for Wales. I mean, he's accomplished in both positions. What do you think his best position is, Matt? Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Uh, I, I did wonder what, what Pivak was going to do. Um, with Lee Halfpenny in the squad as well um, I suppose from Pivak's point of view you need to make sure you, you keep some continuity otherwise it could all fall apart um, but yeah I think his best position is probably full back that's where I would edge to but like you said he's you know it, it, on the wing he's shown that he's got all, all the qualities needed to, to play in that position as well I just think you know it's a classic case of having a bit more time on the ball at full back and, uh, and a bit more time to assess your options find gaps etc uh, etc et you know it, but you know, to displace Halfpenny um, would be difficult because, you know, as we know, he's he's a safe pair of hands. He's a little comfort blanket at the back there. So uh, I'm not entirely surprised to see him on the wing, though. Much like yourself, I do edge towards him being a better fullback than um, than a winger. But that's not to say he's not a good winger. I mean, the other thing, yeah. of course, with the situation with Liam Williams, you know, who's who's facing a lengthy layoff, there's there's a decision to be made of the, the shape of the back three. Uh-oh going into the Six Nations the hope would be that George North would be available again um, you've obviously now got Josh Adams who I think is firmly established as probably the first name in that back three at the moment yeah. given Liam's out um, so who else comes into that equation you've got Owen Lane is on the bench yeah. you've got a chance for McNichol now Hallam Amos I'm a little bit surprised not involved in the 23 so he's another one who's going to be banging at the door so there are quite a few options but what McNichol has got now is the first opportunity under Pivak. It's game number one. Yeah. He's in the starting lineup. It's his opportunity to say you can't drop me. Yeah, because the thing is as well, like you know, if he doesn't play well on on the weekend, it's very unlikely he's going to get a chance in the Six Nations. Then, you know, this is a this is a big chance for him. Um, and if it doesn't go well, like I said, you know, I don't think they're going to risk playing him again 
in, a, in an international that, no. that really matters. And the problem is Italy's first up. Yeah. If Italy was your fourth or third Six Nations match, you could probably you could build a bit of momentum yeah. and then throw in Johnny McNichol. But because it's first up, Pivak knows you don't want to lose. Well, to if you think exactly. essentially, he's he's leapfrogged over Owen Lane, isn't he? Because Owen Lane started against New Zealand when McNichol was not available. McNichol's available, and he's the one starting this game. So it's a challenge. You know, Lane will I'm sure will be straining at the leash if he gets yeah. thirty minutes coming on. You know, he's an explosive player. We know what he can do. So yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, again, given the situation, you've got so many players missing and available for injury. It, it, it does show that we are again moving into this direction of trying to build more strength in depth. So, Speaking about Owen Lane, he's on the bench. Um, if and when he does get onto the field, what position do we see him coming on for? Because obviously there's no Willis Halaholo. He pulled out of the squad injured. Scott Williams was called up in injury card, but he's not in the 23. So Owen Lane will cover centre as well as wing. But which which position do we see him coming on? Well, you come on as a wing, um, bar an injury, I should imagine. Um, it's always difficult to predict these things because you never know how the game's going to pan out, etc., yeah. etc. But I don't think we're far enough down the line. Well, I don't think we've even started on the journey of moving Owen Lane to centre um, yet. Uh, I know Wayne Pivak and John Mulvihill have spoken about potentially giving him more chances in the midfield um, as the season progresses. Um, but yeah, you know, he's not, you can't just throw him on there at, at yeah. centre. I think he may very well end up there at some point in his career. Um, you know, he's certainly got the physical attributes for it, but uh, for the time being, he's a winger. Um, and unless there's an injury, I, I think he'll come on the wing. The other option, of course, you do have, as we've seen in recent weeks, Jared Evans has played two Jared, games yeah. recently, yeah, 12. If they were to make a change at centre, you could see Sam Davis coming on at uh, fly half and then Jared moving into the centre, especially when the game's freed up a bit. That, that's a very small 10-12 channel then. That would be my only concern about that. With Mr Bastro in the opposition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed he hasn't played number eight at all for the Barbarians yet. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the big the big promise we were getting from Eddie Jones and Gatlin was he was going to play eight. Well, it's time you mentioned number eights there because the other interesting the, thing in the Wales team is Aaron Wainwright at number eight. That is the most interesting selection of the lot for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, how much of that is related to the fact that Ross Moriarty, as we know now, is we weren't sure really initially what the situation was there. We now know that it's illness. He had an infection and this head wound he picked up out in Japan. He's not felt so great, so he's sitting it out. But I like the idea moving forward of Wainwright as a number eight option. I remember like the, the kind of Pierce Beast number eight, the dynamic, athletic, ball carrying eight. We, we don't generally develop 19 stone, enormous Billy Vunapola. Well, we actually did develop Billy Vunapola. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and uh, but what what we probably, especially if we're moving into this new era of probably you know a little bit more attack minded, a little bit more pace based counter attacking tempo rugby, to have someone with the athleticism of Wainwright who can step in and break, I think that's a really interesting and exciting prospect. That one, yeah, we totally agree with that, and you know it will be you know fascinating to see how he how he develops. I, I love the the idea of him at number eight. Um, got it all really isn't he? he's got the handling skills required um, so if, if that goes well then then that that's really promising off, off my memory which game was it in the, in the World Cup that he was it Uruguay that he played eight? I think he came off the bench against Uruguay he started right? one of them at eight didn't he there was one game he started at eight yeah you were out there. I was out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling to rack my brains out. Okay. Um, no, I think Moriarty didn't Moriarty start at number eight against Uruguay. At least um, that he might have started against Fiji. Yeah, possibly. Um, 
I mean, the other one that's interesting in that area is the appearance of Ollie Griffiths on the bench. Because, you know, a few weeks ago, we were under the impression that he, he was not going to be available for selection for this game because they're the latest in the series and niggles. But he's obviously overcome that a bit quicker than expected. And it says um, a lot to me that, A, he was included in the squad, you know, having had pretty limited rugby this season. The thing with Ollie is he, every game he plays, he's man of the match. Then he's out for a month, then he's man of the match, then he's out for a month. And it's just one of those things. I mean, he's, he's probably... You know, you hope it's not as injury prone, but you can see him having a career similar to Sam Warburton in, this, in the way he plays because it's such a he's so confrontational physically, both as a ball carrier and when he's contesting the contact area, he's going to pick up injuries. Um, but I like Ollie Griffiths. I mean, every time I've seen him, he he's another one like probably slightly more physical again in a way than um, Wayne Wright. Be interesting to consider the sizes of the two. Ollie's not a huge man, but he punches well above his weight as a ball carrier and his dynamism. And he's just every time you see him for the for the Dragons he's impressive and I'm looking forward to seeing him because he has actually had a cap Ollie. you know people forget there's maybe a brief cap yeah. to it, but I like him I think he's a, he and of course he can play 6, 7 or 8 which is a valuable thing to have in the squad yeah the, the internet tells me that Wayne Wright played number 8 against Uruguay so you were correct yeah, Benjamin well done um, yeah I seem to remember looking really good off the base of the scrum which I was quite impressed by you got to temper it a little bit though because uh, Uruguay I, not, not much else looked good in that Uruguay game yeah that's it? very true um, but um, they weren't the best um, Ollie Griffiths yeah great player love him um, like Simon said though just got to keep him fit for a run of games uh, you know he's he's absolutely built um, got the impression today the way we the way that Wayne Pivak um, spoke about him, he really likes him. Yeah. Um, I think he's really made an impression there. Uh, so, you know, it's a really promising, you know, as it has been for years, you know, we know his qualities, but we just need to see him stay fit. And he, he just suits the way Pivak wants to play because he, I think one of his key points today was we got to be quicker to the breakdown. Well, that's, that's one of the key points I want to bring to this Wales team, isn't it? Being quicker to the breakdown this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I don't envisage a massive battle at the breakdown this weekend, as no, as but... you don't, you don't tend to get those sorts of games when the barbarians are involved. But yeah, like you said, he fits the mould. Um, you still got plenty, plenty left in his tank. You know, he's like what 26, 27, something like that. Twenty six. Yeah, he's definitely mid twenties. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> the thing with Pivot, I can talk about that pace. Everything with the Scarlets when they play at their best, it's when it's tempo and things are zipping along, both in terms of the, spe- the speeds of the breakdown for the clear out to allow quick ball for the strike runners behind, and also pace to the breakdown if kind of the first man there to get the turnovers. I mean, James Davis was absolutely, you know, played a huge role in it and, uh, and went pivot at the Scarlets for that. I think that is going to be key, seeing just everything a little bit snappier. A little bit snappy with Wales and and Warren Gatling. You know, there's lots of talk about what style it was, but it was very phase play orientated. Where you look to go through the phases, build it up, build it up, wear down the opposition, create a space, create an overlap, create a you know a mismatch, score from that. I think it'll be a bit sharper, a bit snappier, and looking to strike from distance more. And if it's on, go for it a little bit more. Warren Gatling did talk a lot about it. You know, there was license to go, but you just didn't see it that often, to be honest, in terms of the counter-attacking yeah. strikes. I think that's what you'll see. And in a way, the Barbars game is the perfect opportunity to test those things out. Mm. I think we, we probably started to see it, didn't we, with with Wales and Warren And I think you look back to that Six Nations game against Scotland, and then for the next year or two, they looked to build the attack. But I think by the time the World Cup came around, they just sort of 
either through choice or not, they regressed to what they knew best because of injuries. I think the Gareth Anscombe one in particular. Exactly. When you Ans- yeah. Anscombe, the loss of Anscombe, I think um, the loss of Faletau, which just brought that kind of dynamism that would help that kind of style of play. Um, I think you just had to sort of go with what you had. Yeah. Positives, of course, is make the best of it. And they made well of it. They did make the best of it. They got to the World Cup semi-final and they gave the eventual champions of giving England a good pace in a real hard game. So I think on reflection with all the people who were missing, they did well. But now that's gone and now we move on to a new era. So mm. sp- speaking of Dragons back rowers, disappointed that Tame Basham isn't involved at all? Slightly, yeah. But, you know, like I said, he, Pivak doesn't really want to take too many risks yeah. in this game. Um, I, you know, all that being said, I think if Wales go out and win by 50 points or, you know, if they lose the game, either way, I think we need to sort of be careful with how we address it because, you know, it ain't the greatest barbarian side that's ever been named. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, it's Pivak's first week. So, you know, either way, it's difficult to, to get, you know, too uptight about things. And But, you know, from Pivak's point of view, I, I don't think... Um, I don't think he wants to take the risk. I think he he really wants to just get a win under his belt, especially because it's against Warren Gatlin. Indeed, that's I think Tashim, Basham great. fits. Although he's in the squad, I think he fits into that group of those other players who were brought in the youngsters. There's a certain group there, like eight or nine, you know, rising talents in the game. Like Zakir and Hardy was there. Ewan Davis, the Cardiff Blues fullback. I think um, Tian Thomas Wheeler was yeah. there. Debbie Lake. These are players who are going to be important going through 2023. Basham has got a big future. He excites me. He's got quick feet. He's just one of those players that. A bit like when you watch Wainwright, when he comes onto the ball, things to come al- seem to come alive. We're talking like the Dragons have got a lot of good back rowers coming through. You mm-hmm. know, when when the international period is over and they get everybody fit, they're going to have some big decisions to make themselves in the back row. Yeah, I think Basham was may- maybe a little bit further along than those guys as well because he was actually named in, in the, the squad, squad yeah. wasn't he? Um, so he may be a- even further down the line than that. So you know. Let's wait and see. But like Simon said, when, when the Dragons get fit and get all their boys back, let's see see how these people perform between now and, and the yeah. Six Nations. I get the impression that Basham was like probably in one, of the, one of those ones in the 35. Perhaps Pivak's thinking, well, he's not quite ready yet, but I want to see him in that environment. I want to give him that experience. And uh, yeah, everything I've seen about that kid, from when he came through from Wales in the 20s to his you know moving to the seniors, he just looks to be a classy individual. Indeed, uh, we touched then. Obviously, it's Wayne Pivak against Warren Gatland mm. this weekend. That's a nice little narrative, isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. It was it was actually quite weird up at the um, Barbarians Hotel today to to speak to Warren. Um, yeah, bizarre seeing him in in a different kit. Really, I thought that when I saw the the pictures coming through from their training sessions this week, it's um, unusual. Uh, I think he's relishing it. Uh, interestingly, um, he, this was actually supposed to be Gatland's last game in charge of Wales. Um, that was initially how it was pitched to Warren um, he didn't want that uh, he felt like the World Cup was the natural end to his tenure with Wales and and then he, he had to um, go and ask the Barbars if he could coach them uh, whereas obviously it's usually the other way around um, so you know it, it's worked out in the end but yeah this was supposed to be Gatlin's last Wales game he's decided against it uh, but it, yeah like you said it's thrown up a lovely little narrative added a bit of spice to the occasion because as I said to be honest the Barbar's team is a little underwhelming um, so you know it's a great selling point for the WRU and I would imagine that's why the ticket sales have gone so well um, yeah. or, or very much a large part of it um, but yeah he's had a lot of good buys now hasn't he 
Warren um, in terms of his last game in Cardiff, his last Six Nations game, um, all the rest of it, and obviously his last World Cup game. And so I would, I would say the last the last game in Cardiff was very understated, which I imagine was deliberate, wasn't it? It was literally like a two minute announcement saying our oh, goodbye to all the coaches. When you we went, I was in Dublin. We went to Dublin the weekend after. Mm. Rory Best and Joe Schmidt had like a it's like a ten minute sort of process of you know flowers and carpets and, and, and tears so that, that I was, guess I guess it was deliberate in the sense they wanted to hold, hold it back for, well, for this well not, not so much I think that particular decision was made because of the World Cup on Wales were naming their squad the next day so it would it didn't sit right with them and this this was Gatland as well um, to, to make that game about them because you had Garrett, you know Jared Evans and Rhys Patchell yeah. literally playing for their place in the World Cup squad so I, I think they were very cautious of making it about Gatlin because the squad was being announced it was the last chance for a lot of players um, to, to get into that side so I, I think they were very wary of that um, and I, I don't know if anything's planned tomorrow um, in terms of uh, sorry uh, Saturday in terms of a send off but it <laughs> I don't get the impression it's necessarily his style, um, Gatland. You know, I certainly don't think you'll see him getting on a microphone or anything like that. But then again, I don't know. You know, there may be things planned, but I wouldn't expect a massive song and dance. Well, at least him in the Barbar's um, camp means there's someone you recognise there, anyway, isn't there? Oh. Oh. Well, let's be honest. Oh. I mean, I was going to—I was actually going to add that Rob, Rob, Rob McBride as well is in, is in the Barbas yeah, camp. Yeah, is in there as well. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, in, in terms of um, the cast list, when you consider some of the great barbarian sides that have played in the past, I mean, it is what it is. Professional rugby these days. If you look at slotting this game into this particular weekend, there's a full weekend of Gallagher Premiership. There's a full weekend of Pro 14. It's difficult to get the really big names available. You've got to go Southern Hemisphere. A lot of players are probably top, top players are on post-World Cup breaks now. They've taken the time with their family away from it. Big commitment coming over for three weeks since the Barbarians have been together. So it's tricky to put these sides together. and if you look, to be brutally honest, when people turn up on Saturday and they look at the names on the team sheet, you'll recognise Mattia Bastereau, you'll recognise the great Rory Best, who's captain the side, and probably Charles Britz on the, on the bench, you know, the two of the better-known players, both hookers. Yeah. Apart from that, I mean, we were, I was sat over your shoulder yesterday, Matt, as you were going through that team, and I was, I was having to look at Google most of the names. Yeah. You know, it's just the way it is. It's unfortunate. Um, but I suppose um, when people turn up on Saturday... Really, their focus will a be on Gatlin, as you said. Like, and it'll be sort of an opportunity to say thank you to him. But also, the main focus will be looking at this new look Wales team, and that will be much more the case. And um, hopefully, it'll be an entertaining match. But uh, yeah, it, it's just as well they sold fifty thousand tickets before the Barbarians team came out. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, is that my understanding is that they, they did all their recruitment before the Rugby World Cup, and then had quite a few dropouts after the Rugby World Cup. Um, yeah. You know, if, I'm told there were a few players who dropped out of the game following the World Cup. Um, you know, they have still got Makazoli Mapimpi, World Cup winner in the squad, which is good to see. You know, if I would have liked, you know, until I knew that they'd done all their recruitment before the tournament, it would have been nice to have some Japanese players in there, given their success. Michael the Lee should have been great, wouldn't he? Yeah, and you know, people like Kieran Reid as well, Ben Smith. 
you know, those those kind of guys, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't have been approached. Maybe they were. Maybe. I really expected Bryn Gatland yeah. to get to get the nod. Well, we did, but I got the impression as well, you know, he only, the first time he trained was with Wales in Japan. He's just not that far I along, just don't is think he? He's, the he's thing is, well, top players, they've put so much in over the last four or five months and the World Cup. This is the break they have. It's just very, very difficult. And it, it, it's... It's, the lure of the barbarians is still there I think but this particular fixture I mean you know if you were actually sitting down and deciding you know would you have an international match this weekend and you look at all the reasons rugby reasons they don't stack up yeah. because you've got yeah. such you've got the, the matches going on as we've said obviously it's an important financial money spinner and 60,000 tickets speaks for itself there is public interest there you know and people are going to come and they're going to put money over the bars and that's important for Welsh rugby I am quite relieved I must admit because we've talked a lot about the sort of the impact this is having on the regions I'm glad that Wayne Pivak has released pretty much all of those players not involved he's got 23 players plus Ali Davis and um, Ashton Hewitt uh, was travelling reserves obviously Moriarty's unavailable because he's not well but the other nine players have been released and I think that's a positive sign from Pivak hasn't always been the case in the past that everyone of it who could be released has been released to the regions I think given that so many players have been taken out for post-World Cup rest periods so many players taken out this week for the Barbarians game it was right and proper that as many as possible should go back to the regions to try and help them this weekend in tough games against full strength opposition we've got the three going to the Scarlets hopefully you would imagine there'll be three going to the Ospreys a couple going to the Blues as well I think that's a positive sign from Wayne Pivak yeah I was keen to get his opinions on that um, at the press conference today and, and he, he sort of said you know look I understand the frustrations um, he admitted that he understood the frustrations of regional rugby fans um, because there has been a lot of unrest about this game out there um, let's face facts uh, a lot of these players are being seen for the first time since the World Cup so regional coaches and fans are probably wondering what the hell's going on um, but he did say look I've been in constant contact with the coaches the players they've known who we've picked in the squad for a while players who weren't picked were released back to the regions on Tuesday so they could have a proper week of well they could at least get some training in before the games on Friday and Saturday this week so you know Pivak's been given this game and like Simon said you know, it's good to see that he's actually you know, doing his utmost to you know, send players back to regions and, and what not to make sure they've got um, the best possible chance of, of being successful this weekend because you know goodness knows we need we need the regions to, to turn it around well it shows the benefits of having somebody who's got five years of regional experience as a coach they yeah. understand what his now ex fellow regional coaches are going through mm. and he gets it he realises they need help and he's given them help and I think he should you know hat tip for him for that indeed um talk there about barbarians you know not being a nice break for some of the players after the World Cup uh, I don't know I wouldn't mind taking a few days in Sao Paulo and then the traditional week of training in inverted commas with the barbarians in Cardiff yeah well it's interesting because I've had um because I was in and around the camp today speaking to various people and whatnot. Like Simon said, they've been together three weeks now. Um, they've had Eddie Jones, John Mitchell, and now Gatland in charge. I was speaking to somebody up the, up at the hotel today and they were telling me um, that there's been a noticeable change in the players this week. And I, and I think that speaks to the, the gravitas that, that Gatland has got and the, the aura around him. You know, he said as soon as they came in on, on Monday, train, you know, the, the players were, were switched on. There, there was a difference in the training sessions and, and the sharpness, the focus. You know, they have obviously had a night or, or two 
on the source. Um, you know, there's <laughs> Gatlin was papped obviously this week. Um, they, they had a Christmas jumper night at the Barbers, and Gatlin was papped in Debenhams or wherever he was shopping, holding his Christmas jumper with some reindeer antlers on that were probably in, intended for, <laughs> for for children or something. I don't know. Um, so I, I would have paid to see him dressed up in that. So they've obviously had a bit of fun um, this week, but like I said, they, they, I'm told that there has been a noticeable shift in in sort of focus, and Gatlin's got them you know, firing and training and, and at the end of the day, they, they've got a responsibility to perform on the, on the weekend. It's not just a massive source-up, is it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it is largely about that, you know, the, on all buying into the bar-bar spirit and all the rest of it. But, you know, ultimately, they've got to go out and, and perform. Otherwise, it undermines the whole yeah. thing. And Gatling wouldn't want to bow out with a thumping. No, that's the he other thing. Do that. Well, he'd he love nothing more than a win. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, Rory Best sort of admitted that as, you know, they, they they do feel that sort of responsibility to to Gatland, you know, to send him out on, on a, a decent note at the very least. You know, like Simon said, you don't want to send him out on a on an absolute hiding. Indeed. Um, another novelty this weekend is the fact that Nigel Owens referees a Wales match. Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Nice for Nigel. You yes. enjoy it. Nice for Nigel. Um, and in the same way as I talked about Jared Evans being born to be a barbarian, I think Nigel Owens is born to be a referee for the barbarians. <laughs> you know, he's somebody who has always looked to sort of empathy with the game in terms of the way that it should be played and an attempt to sort of let the game flow. And if any game would benefit from that, it's a barbarous game. And I'm sure there'll be an odd quip there, here or there, somewhere along the line. But I'm looking, there should be a few interesting things. I wonder if you're going to get a, a Gatlin 15 man line out coming out because we've seen a few of those going back over the years. So, I'm sure you'll have one or two um, unusual ploys, plus the kind of thing that um, the hard-nosed nature of Test Rugby hasn't allowed over the years. Maybe you'll see the the, uh, the more frisky spirit of uh, Gatland mm. with the rugby coaches. <laughs> What's he got? There must be a few party pieces they've been working on with those antlers on their heads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Has he given any indication? Because I watched the Barbarians-Fiji game and Eddie Jones was disappointingly sparse when it came to the old, you know, tap-and-go moves and all that from five metres out. Um, there hasn't really been any talk of... Um uh, of any special plans or anything, I did ask him uh, very simply, "How do you beat Wales?" Um, which he gave me a bit of a stare before answering. I'm not sure he particularly enjoyed the question, um, but yeah, no, he, he, um, he just said, "Look, you know, we know we know what they're good at, we know what they're not." Um, they, you know, largely they'd been guessing all week because you don't know what this, what sort of side Pivak was going to pick because it's such a different side to the one that Gatland yeah. left naturally with all the injuries and whatever and people having time off etc etc so you know now, now they've had this side they can have a look at it and see where they think Wales can be got at um, they certainly do believe that they can cause Wales problems so um, yeah we'll have to wait and see but it would be nice if he had some tricks up his sleeve it's interesting to hear Gatlin referring to Wales as they isn't it well he did there was a couple of <laughs> us and we's and ours in there and I, I was chuckling to myself and uh, I, I think it, in all fairness to him it's probably going to take <laughs> take a while for that to, to wear off but um, yeah you know, yeah, it is it is still a bit strange to, to see him not in a Wales kit or a Lions kit I suppose quickly we'll move away from Wales because mm. it's been a busy week in Welsh rugby without this test match, hasn't it? Oh. Um, me and Cy were sat in here on Tuesday mm. uh, doing a, an emergency podcast of sorts to talk about the Ospreys. Ooh. Two days later, I'm, I'm not really sure 
how much further we moved on. Well, we've had one two-line statement, yeah. and we've had a, a two-line notification of a press conference at two o'clock at the Liberty Stadium on Friday afternoon, and that's about it. And we, um, did, we did have a, a Pro 14 media day. <laughs> <laughs> we had a pro- Richie, well, P- Richie Pugh I mean, I'm, 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 to- I'm talking about actually people speaking yeah. about the issue because let's be brutally honest at the media day those two boys were thrown under the bus really Richie Pugh and James Hook put in a very very difficult situation fair play to them they, they dealt with as best they could it was oh, really they fr- they awkward really awkward but I mean I saw Guy Threeso and our colleague from the BBC summed it up for me and he said I don't really know what I can ask you you know mm. because everything was off limits you know how many times can you turn the conversation back to this weekend's training regime against the cheaters you know absolute carnage going on there you know a shambles of a situation to be brutally honest and you know I, I don't know who really you point the finger of blame man but it, it's just not looked good it's not been handled very well and you had that situation where those boys are up there not able to talk about the one thing that everybody wanted to ask them questions about so at least hopefully Friday afternoon uh, the word is that um, maybe Rob Davis and Andrew Millward, the chairman and chief executive, will be there, which is the right thing to happen. Yep. They're the ones who have to sort of be there, say what they want to say, answer the questions, because it would be hard questions. You're, you're planning on going down there, Matt. It could be interesting, couldn't it? Yeah, you know, like you said, there, there is a fan base there that need answers. The region has, in many ways, failed them on this. Yeah. Um, there are fans who have been left in the dark for far too long. Um, a lot of this, all that you know, they they ha- you have to get things in place. Um, you know, you cannot hide behind. You know, we oh we can't say anything because it, for legal reasons, all that needs to be sorted out when quickly or before you begin the process of letting somebody go or that person walking away or whatever it is. Right? We you know you can't leave the fans like we're days on now from that story breaking and really. The fans are still in the dark. It's crisis management, and you made a very good point yesterday. Contrast it with Martin Phillips's crisis management of the Rob Howley situation, mm. which was a difficult, difficult uh, set of circumstances. But he came up and he fronted up, showed his experience probably from a HR perspective, and said what needed to be said was clear. I'll tell you exactly what I can tell you. Certain things I can't say, but he was honest, fronted up. You compare that to how the Ospreys have handled this. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, and and you know, you've got you've got a university. I think it was Cardiff Met University now talking about doing a case study on how they've handled the situation. Oh, not to handle it. Well, not to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, like Martin Phillips, you know, I don't agree with everything that he says, um, but on, on this, like you said, I, I felt like he handled that situation perfectly. There were things that he couldn't say or he felt he couldn't say um, that we wanted to know, yeah. but at least he gave something that, you know, people could grasp hold of, understand, to inform the fan base, the media, everybody, what is happening why it's happening and why they can't say anything more. Yeah. So, you know, the fans, they needed to come out with more than what they've done in the last few days. And and like you said, throwing James Hook and Richie Pugh out in front of the press, that that was brutal. Um, I mean, and, Richie's not long into a month into the job. But the, the bottom line is, we're now Thursday afternoon, two days on. Do we still, do we know if Alan Clark's employed by the Ospreys? Well, this is it. <laughs> you know, do we actually know? Is he is he ex employee current employee? What's the situation? We don't know. I don't know. But you know, like you said, hopefully tomorrow people start getting some answers, um, and the fan base can be informed. And you know, know, they they need to face the music on this, and hopefully that's going to take place tomorrow. Hopefully it will. We'll surely discuss that on a podcast next week. We have actually got Hooky and uh, Richie Pugh 
on a podcast next week, um, which is quite fun, I'll admit, because obviously we're recording it for next week. So you, you had to sort of start the podcast by saying, hopefully the, the situation will be resolved, which was a, a bizarre way to start a podcast. Um, elsewhere in the world of Welsh rugby this week, um, we'll touch briefly on him, uh, Willis Halaholo. He's not yes. involved this weekend, which is a massive shame for me. Um, mm. You know, I'd, I'd have loved to have seen him involved. Um, came out on Twitter on Tuesday. Very yes, strong. He did. Didn't he just? Peak um, Halaholo. It was peak Willis. Because I, from, I'd say from a... From a a, a strong position, a correct position. I think that um, we often talk about, you know, players not really saying anything and about them being over media managed. It was rare, but actually refreshing to see a player speaking his mind. And if it was going to be anybody, you'd think Willis, because he's he's used to making some quite colourful comments. You know, light, not colourful in sort of um, you know any way wrong. He's just he's the kind of guy who speaks openly, isn't he? Always, and he obviously felt that he'd been unfairly characterised or spoken about by some people in terms of well, I think he basically viewed it that some people didn't want him in the Wales team and now you've got your wishes because I'm out of it which is quite sad to hear him say wasn't it mm. you know like I've got I would actively encourage players to to be as open as, as that um, you know I, I defended Dan Bigger's right to hit back at JJ Williams for example before the World Cup you know I've got no issues with people criticising others and I've got no other, no issue with those people defending themselves um, you know on this particular issue I, I was disappointed to see the, the some of the reactions to his call up and Johnny McNichol's call up um, although not sadly not entirely surprised um, no. to see that reaction Um you know, and inter- you know, Warren Gatland was asked about it today, and and he said his advice to to overseas players who like Hadley Parks, for example, was always um, to learn the anthem, um, and, and that that is something that the Welsh people will respond to. They will see that somebody has made the effort to do that, um, and, and I think he, you know, Warren Gatland suggesting that brings them um, round and back on side. His advice to Halaholo is to keep his head down, work hard. Um, earn a spot in the squad again when he's back fit um, and do the business you know it, it's interesting I was speaking to people up at the Vale today and, and I was saying you know Hadley Parks didn't really have any of this um, and, and I, you know I think the reason for that was he's, he's scoring tries on his debut and suddenly everybody forgets so I think the the key the key really um, for for Halaholo from his point of view is to like much like Gatlin said you know work hard which I'm sure he will based on on his tweets um, get his spot back in that side and and hopefully make make his debut in the not too distant future uh, you just wonder though. Um, how damaging the injury will be to his Wales chances. It's sorry, Park. Park's got lots, far less grief than Gareth Anscombe, whose actually mother is actually Welsh, didn't actually go through the residency yeah. route. It's, yeah. It just seems certain people, t- they tap into something with the public that the public has an issue with. Um, with Willis, I was there watching when he did that injury and it was like, it was kind of, I don't know, it was so almost appropriate, but sadly appropriate. He did it by doing the thing he's very best at. It was a classic, it was a triple step. I watched it again the other day. Step, step, step. And on the third one, his knee just crumpled and well, it's gone. You that's, know? that's the concern, isn't it? That his game is so built on steps and sidesteps. Mm. You know, 
knee ligament damage yeah. is is a massive blow to that. I, I did. Um, it was interesting what you said there about the anthem because I hear that uh, Johnny McNichol has been having specialist uh, lessons off Steph Hughes, Steph Hughes the well-speaking yeah. centre in the Scarlet. So I think has been going through it with him. So we shall be watching on Saturday to see just how much his, uh, his preparatory work is paying off. Yeah, here's a question for you then. So do you think the reaction to these call-ups has been um, intensified by the fact that there's two of them and not one of them being overseas players being called up at the same time? Yeah, I suppose it fuels those who've got an issue with it. I mean, we get, you know, criticism sometimes ourselves because we kind of occasionally, you know, fall into that, you know, Kiwi-born reference, which sometimes is just purely because it's it's another way of referring to someone. You know, it's something I'm conscious of, and you you try and avoid it because, not because you feel he's doing anything wrong, but in a way you almost feel like you're fueling some of the trolls out there by doing it. And it's it's an unfortunate situation. You have to think like that. But uh, bottom line for me has always been quite clear. You play... You you operate within the rules of the, that World Rugby set down. They said three years. Therefore, if a player is available, you pick the best players. Full stop. Absolute full stop. And this, you don't blame the player for the rules. You know, now it's changing to five years. You're probably going to see less instances like we've had with Halla Hollow and. and um, McNichols. It's not, not forget they're both twenty nine. With five years, they'd both be thirty one. So it's less likely to happen in years to come. But I think just lay them off. Isn't lay off these guys? You know they're Welsh now. They're Welsh qualified, and that's it. There we go. I think that's the perfect place to leave the uh, the podcast Aye, on, on that note. <laughs> right, that's it for today's podcast. We'll be back uh, Saturday when we bring in all the reaction to the Wales Barbarians game. But until then, you can catch all the latest news on Wales Online. 